iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. All right, welcome to the Apple Store Soho, everybody. Uh, good to see you here today. Uh, without any further ado, I would like to introduce one of the hosts for tonight. Please welcome James from IndieWire. Hi, everyone. Um, oh, cool. Uh, I'll make this short since we have a lot of uh, people participating tonight, but we're very excited, uh, IndieWire, to continue this series with Apple where we bring uh, filmmakers here to talk about their work. Um, a little bit about IndieWire, we're a website, we've been covering the independent film space since 1996. And you can go to our site and read about film festivals and um, interviews with filmmakers, reviews, etc. So definitely check us out at IndieWire.com. Um, we're also uh, partners with a company called Snag Films, where you can actually um, see Andy's previous doc, Dig, and you can watch it online for free with 600 other docs. So definitely check that out. Um, the, two the two filmmakers, their films are actually showing this weekend in New York. Uh, we Live in Public is showing at New Directors, and My Suicide is showing at Gen Art. Also want to welcome folks who are tuning into the event via iTunes. There's going to be a podcast of this event available. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our moderator tonight, film critic, journalist, Dennis Lim. Hi, thanks for coming. Um, so I'm going to introduce our four panelists um, for today. Uh, first, um, the director of uh, We Live in Public um, and the subject of We Live in Public, uh, Andy Timoner and Josh Harris. <laughs> and the um, director and the star um, uh, of um, My Suicide, David Lee Miller and Gabriel Sunday. So, um, since most people, I, I assume, have not seen the film, I'm just going to, I've not seen the film, so I'm just going to describe them briefly, and then we'll, we'll get into um, our discussion. Um, uh, Andy's film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, where it won the uh, Grand Jury Prize, actually the second time that she's won it. She won it for her previous documentary, Dig, on the Brian Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols. Um, and as James mentioned, it's a closing night film at um, New Directors New Films tomorrow night. We'll screen at MoMA. Um, and the film is about the man to her right, Josh Harris, um, who's a uh, dot-com pioneer, new media guru. Um, the film is about his rise and fall, and perhaps rise again, um, and about how he, um, uh, <coughs> from his dot-com days, um, as the 90s progressed, how he moved more towards sort of conceptual social experiments, um, which in many ways have sort of presaged uh, many aspects of 21st century life. And David's film, which uh, I think premiered at Berlin, where it won a prize and had its American premiere at South by Southwest, will close the Gen Art Film Festival tonight. Um, it's called My Suicide. It's a fictional film um, about a teenager, played by Gabriel, to his right, who um, decides that he will uh, kill himself on camera. So, um, so while Andy's film is, is a documentary and David's is uh, a fictional feature, there are obviously very many there are many interesting points of contact between the two films, um, and 
you could also say that even though your film is a documentary, it has sort of the narrative um, character arc that you typically associate with a drama. And David's film is a fiction film that utilizes a lot of documentary techniques, relying a lot of interviews and on research. Um, and they both really seem to be about um, a very, a, a much larger issue in the sense that both films are about the way we live now. Um, they're both about something that I think is spelled out in the title of Andy's film, which before it was the title of her film was the title of a project of Josh's, We Live in Public. So um, I'm wondering if you could, setting aside the films for a minute, if you could talk about that idea and when you came to that realization in your, in your lives. Um, maybe Josh, you should go last since you probably came up with this, you, you probably realized before most people. Um, so, you know, was there an epiphany? Was this a gradual realization? Was it from observing others or was it something that you sensed in your own experience? Well, um, for me, uh, you know, Josh called me to document cultural history in, in 1999. And um, I, I saw what he was starting to create in the bunker, which was just blocks from here on Broadway between Franklin and Leonard and, and obviously signed on right away. I was fascinated, but had no idea what context it would, would have in our society. It was just, at, at, it seemed like um, an important event just because of the way that people re were reacting to it. There were going to be 110 surveillance cameras and uh, 80 foot long dining room table and living quarters for over 100 people underground and a firing range in downtown Manhattan. So I had to obviously be there. Um, and, uh, and Josh said, I'll give you whatever resources you need to get this project documented. So we got a multiplex and we put all the cameras through this one system so we could monitor the space and the chaos. And what struck me at the time was the way that everyone reacted to the technology. They embraced it. They jumped in. It didn't matter what the, um, what the circumstances were. There was a, a temple that was definitely had fascistic overtones. There was interrogations. There was a torture chamber. Um, there were uniforms. It was mandatory to stay. These things were, were fine with people. They had no idea what they were getting into, but they were jumping in anyway. Um, and I felt that in, and then years go by. I like years to go by with my films, or that's somehow part of my karma. Um, and then 2006 rolls around, and I see the first status update on Facebook. Um, I'm driving west on the freeway. And then all these re responses to it. And then I, I realize that there's this trend starting to happen um, where people are broadcasting their lives. And um, it really started to remind me of the bunker and the feeling I had about the way people reacted to Josh's experiment. And that's when I decided that we needed to make the film right now. I felt like um, Josh was really onto something. And, I, and I, I must say that many people, a big debate about Josh Harris back then was, is he an artist? Is he a businessman? Is he a visionary? Is he a buffoon? Um, I was right there with everybody else, you know, definitely on the fence. And, uh, and I was, I felt he was worth sticking with because of the extraordinary way that he spent his money more than anything. I thought, this guy is amazing. I mean, he's got millions of dollars, but he's not buying the two houses and the five cars. He's building bunkers and um, rigging his loft with surveillance cameras and declaring that he's going to be the first couple to conceive and give birth to a child on camera and, and all of this. So um, I, I followed him because he, lit, he led an extraordinary life that affected other people's lives. But I've come to realize that, in fact, he was um, extremely um, visionary and, and early on knew what the Internet would bring out, which was all of our um, 
desire for connection, recognition, and uh, in some cases, attention and fame, which we could have every day online. Uh, David, so for you, what, what was the moment when you realized that there was something that had changed in the way we experience our daily lives? Uh, yeah, yeah, for me, it mainly came from uh, working with young artists who had grown up in the digital age. So they, they didn't know any different. And, um, you know, basically working with my son, we, we founded this group called Regenerate, which was about young artists making media to tackle important issues that affect teenagers. Uh, suicide being the number two killer of kids was high on our radar. And um, it really became about realizing the teen condition that at one, you know, at some point these, these young people who have grown up are so completely natural with this media. Um, but you know, what does that do to them? I, I mean, we live in this age where, you know, I, you know, I could see by working with them that we're, they're overconnected, they're disconnected. It's probably the first time in civilization that you've got an entire generation that um, they're better than their parents at key communication, uh, internet, you know, business, uh, all of these skills. I mean, the only thing I was better than my parents at was playing. And, you know, and, and yet, they don't get the respect for it. You know, if anything, they get the opposite. They have their parents telling them, oh, you've got everything. You've got video games. Um, you know, your life is so easy. And it's really not. Uh, you know, what does one, living in public, do to your psyche? And two, you know, what is seeing, you know, hardcore porn and beheadings at the age of eight to tell you about where you fit in society? You know, so at the same time, working with our group and doing documentary type programming, we realized that, that suicide is skewing younger now. Uh, the highest rising demographic for suicide uh, are 10 to 14 year olds. You know, so it really became kind of like, let's make a movie together where I can really capture that youth voice. And you know, it all kind of started with Firewire and Final Cut Pro 1. These kids started making movies at that time. And it's that same core group of kids with Gabriel joining us you know, that, that put this movie together, which is ultimately about that condition and how to, you know, overcome it and find hope and find connection, you know, that's real. Uh, Gabriel, could you talk about this from the point of view of someone who's considerably younger than anyone else on the panel? And <coughs> because we, we, you know, people in the 30s of... He's really 85 years okay. old. <laughs> 65, 65. I saw my first beheading when I was 12. Um, Seriously. Uh, and to talk about what he's saying, I, I tried to keep myself a little distanced from the internet in certain ways. I mean, I remember Napster came about and I stole every possible music that I possibly could, and still do. And, um, and, you know, watched a lot of porn and saw some beheadings and saw some things that, you know, probably a kid my age shouldn't be watching. Uh, I mean, definitely. I, mean, I don't think you ever need to see somebody get their head cut off. And, you know, was pretty overwhelmed by that. I remember it's shocking me. I remember my buddies, we used to go on AOL chat and <clears throat> we would disguise ourselves. My buddy Chris really did this the most. Would disguise himself as somebody's friend online. So they think they were talking to their buddies. And then he'd send them like a really messed up picture. Like somebody who got their face ripped off on a motorcycle or something. Just to like mess with them. You know? And it was just this way of like taking off all of these filters and just being, you know, open in a lot of ways. In a really good way. And opening communication but also being cruel in a lot of ways. I mean, you see chat boards and like, I mean, people can be so cruel to each other on the internet, just so cruel. But there's also something really exciting and like sexy about that. And um, I had kind of kept myself distance, you know, I didn't really MySpace and all that until, until a, a few years back. But then starting to work on this film, um, I edited the film with Jordan, David's son, for about two and a half years. 
Um, and during that time, it really started to dawn on me what that was all about. I mean, I was constantly videotaping myself, and the whole movie is like this kid Archie making a film about his own life. And after a while, I really started to feel like what that was, like what that narcissism, what that really does to you. And I really started disliking myself and the whole idea of it. <clears throat> I really started enjoying trees a lot more. <laughs> um, <laughs> apple orchards. Um, you know, I really, it kind of put me in touch with what I really needed to have to ground myself because it was really scary, just that whole thing to me. And all of a sudden you're online and I didn't even realize I was on Facebook right now. Or I didn't even realize I was, you know, yeah, it, it's a scary thing, but I, I love it. I think, it's, I think it's extremely healthy for people to be connected and to communicate with others. I think it's wonderful. I, I think we're seeing a lot of really messed up stuff at a very young age, but I think it's great. It's also reality. I mean, you know, so it's like, how do you it's deal with it? It's undeniable. There's no, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. no hiding anymore. No, and it becomes, how do you deal with that and use that in a positive way and also connect in a real human way, you know? And just realize that intimacy is, you know, it feels intimate online, but it's not necessarily intimate. And, yeah. And that phys you can't replace totally physical interaction, you know? I think that's where you kind of get lost. And I felt that making this film right now was important just because I felt that that was somehow being replaced. You know, we're, I think the virtual world is undeniably trumping the physical world at this point. It's more compelling in a lot of ways, especially if you're a kid. And I, when I saw my suicide at South by Southwest, I realized, oh my gosh, this film is kind of where ours leaves off. You know, it's looking at someone who's just grown up with that technology and doesn't have to leave their room and doesn't want to leave the room because yeah. there's so much more going on inside that computer than they could find in, in a five mile radius of their house and they're trapped there anyway, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. But Josh. Yeah, Josh, maybe you can give us some historical context. And like, you know, at what point did you realize that the internet would change our lives, our perception of reality? Well, actually, um, it's funny, I, I, the, your original question, where did it come from, and I was just thinking about it. Um, I went to UC San Diego, Ravel College, UC San Diego, uh, a very difficult college, and I sucked at everything, except one day I walked into a communications class, and, I real, and everyone else was the ant, and I, and I knew, what, you know, I was smarter than them at that one little thing. And what I started exploring is what television had done to me and what it was doing to me and how I, and how how who I was after after consuming you know that much material in my life and then you know one thing led to another and uh, two years later I stepped into a, a, a class and the guy explained what was then called video text which turned into video text which then turned into uh, online I suppose and then turned into the internet just for that historical perspective and, you know, I kind of did my homework. I'm, for what I do, I'm very thorough. Um, I worked in research companies, and then I started my own, which is how I made my first fortune, hopefully, um, Jupiter Communications. And in doing that, I learned how the machine worked. I mean, I, I got inside all of the major, all the telephone companies, all the financial institutions. I understood, how, you know, how the media organizations worked. And then I, did, I stopped doing that, and I started Pseudo Programs, Inc., which uh, was an internet television network. And I learned how the dynamics of how that business worked from a tactical standpoint. And then I did it. Then I, you know, spent the money, you know, you know I would doing installation work that wasn't really, com was definitely not particularly commercial. And I think there was a moment in doing We Live in Public 
um, where I, I wired my loft with the fake girlfriend. Fake girlfriend, fake company, fake money, you know. And that was the motif I was using, what's real and what's virtual. There was a moment uh, where um, I found the magic in the medium, which is still r relatively um, unexplored uh, even as we sit here today. And I think the, right now as we sit here and uh, as per Andy's point, the timing is important. We're about to see a major, major shift in, in you know, the, the internet be going from being a utility to an engaging quote unquote entertainment experience where all of a sudden the virtual, what, what the virtual is doing will really realize itself which is connect people in space and time. And, and that's, if you had to take one fundamental underpinning, it's really connecting people in space and time. Because in the physical world, it's very inefficient. You know, at four in the afternoon, you know, you're hanging around. It's like Total Recall when they take you on vacation and they, you know, the guy's sitting there, Arnie's sitting there in the chair and the guy says, you don't want to go to Mars as yourself. You want to go as someone else. And that moment is now. We're, 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 we're now just able to go, go places and be with people that aren't related to the physical world. And, that, and it, it's a very, very powerful experience. Of which, uh, and, and what I, I'm fine, I'll just finish the whole thing. I, I think that, I think that it, the world is not going to get better or worse, but I think the human condition is, about, is in, is in a, a very fast-paced evolutionary shift where the organism, there, there's a new organism that is about to be created that isn't humanity as we know it. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well... Um, yeah, well, it's the, the beehive or the collective consciousness is about to human realize itself. So well, the individual human consciousness is about to hive up. And that is another consciousness that is what I'm interested in now exploring. That's, that's what turns me, that's what wakes me up in the morning, that's what turns me on. That's what I think about, you know, all day long. Okay. Um, I guess a related question then is... is um, you both, uh, Andy and David, you both touched on this in your first responses. Um, I, you, could, you could certainly see both your films as cautionary tales, and I'm wondering if you could maybe elaborate on that idea. What exactly are you cautioning against, and what would be the appropriate path of, of you know, relating to this sort of virtual reality um, moving forward? Because I think you, you alluded to the idea of just like not mindlessly using the internet but just like you know being aware that intimacy is an illusion or something that you said yeah, earlier there's a I, I think a few aspects of life online today that I felt should 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 be um, we should be more conscious of and that in showing Josh's trajectory um, the audience would be able to reach their conclu own conclusions of how it applies to their own lives which is something I wanted to leave open for everyone um, that's what attracted me to the story and to telling the story um, and taking on the film. And it was like 5,000 hours of footage in the last year that we cut down to the feature uh, version. I think that if Josh was just a visionary, it wouldn't have interested me. Um, it's just that he's a walking cautionary tale as well. Um, Great. <laughs> he, um, you know, he was raised very much on the television, and Gilligan's Island and other shows like that formed his idea of family, much as for Gabriel, some, you know, 
other things, hopefully besides the beheading, um, have probably been very instrumental in forming his who he is today. And I think it's kind of an undeniable um, aspect to kids growing up today that that's just going to be an influence. But um, what happened as a result is Josh, and I think I identified this in myself a little bit, was he mediated his life with technology, cameras everywhere. Um, you know, pseudo being the first internet television network was a way for him to sort of rake the town for talent, but simultaneously, once again, cameras everywhere. Before there was even broadband, it was important for Josh to be first, and that was also a desire to be one of those people on the tube, to be on the Carson show, to be famous, and he associated fame with happiness, with not being alone, and I, I really feel that from the moment we leave the womb, we're alone, you know, the umbilical cord's cut, and we're spending the rest of our lives trying not to feel that, and in our society, fame is definitely the cure-all. I mean, it's put up there as they're being watched, they're happy, they're smiling, and even in a photograph, you smile, even if you're not feeling great, um, and you project that, that out there. Um, and so it's kind of this cyclical thing. So I think that there's something to be aware of in, in our, uh, being aware of our behavior online. Um, what, are, what is motivating us when we post our most personal data? Um, I, I felt that in the bunker, people were clamoring for the attention of the cameras in this way that they were exposing more and more of themselves and answering penetrating questions that they would never have otherwise answered in hopes to be up in the pecking order that Josh had established in the bunker. I think he was somewhat proving this out, but simultaneously, he was seeking that fame. Um, and finally, overloaded with weliveinpublic.com, he's living with his girlfriend, and suddenly the chatters are commenting on every aspect of their life entering their mind share and he's now exposed too much and now he has to cut himself off entirely and ends up on an apple farm um are we all going to end up on an apple farm or um in you know f fleeing to third world countries probably not but managing our time uh knowing when to turn it off um i think these are things to that are really important to be aware of you pay with your time and if you're looking down at your virtual box your blackberry your iphone um you're not looking up and around you. And granted, we, this is an incredible device, and the Internet's the most powerful invention of our lifetime. It's inc it, you know, but, it's, but we have to stay the ones using it and not be used by it, I think. And Josh ultimately thinks we're all going to fall down to it, right? We're all going to be harvested eventually. Well, but, you know, uh, we can push it off a little bit. Well, you know, I, you know there, are, there, are, there is free-range chicken, but we generally eat Purdue. Be free range, everybody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, a lot, there are definitely a lot of similarities uh, in terms of the message of ours. I mean, ours is a cautionary tale, yes, uh, but it's also kind of meant to be an inspirational tale. Um, all the internet, all these technologies, the overconnection with media, the, able, be, the ability to be able to appropriate media and make art with it is an unbelievable thing. And our character in, in, in our movie. Uh, much like the young people like Jordan and Gabe and, and, and Angie and other young people who were involved in our movie, they show that they've got that ability and that's a really cool thing. But if it all gets wrapped up you know, in, in kind of total narcissism, uh, then that's the way you get lost. And our tale is really about understanding that all of these, these things exist. They may be a double-edged sword, but at the end of the day... You know, the best things that happen in life are usually the direct result of, of giving and engaging, you know. And, and that can be humanly or that could be on the Internet. That it's, you know, these are not inherently bad things. They're good things. And, uh, 
you know, that's, that's really kind of the journey of our film, because that's still going to exist in this world, no matter what. It's a good thing to know, and, but it's, it's different to feel that, like to actually know that giving is what's important, but to actually feel that in your heart and know that that's true. <coughs> you know, that, I think that's really difficult, and there's something so tempting about just spending all your time being, like, devoured up by... Although, I started getting really... I started getting a bunch of anxiety when you were talking, just about this whole... I don't know. I, I, I'm still very much on the edge of, like, what I feel about all this stuff, and especially, like, being an actor and being in front of people. And what does that actually mean? Like, people then, you know, see you as, like, that character, and your whole job is to, like, be in front of people and to, like, project this thing of, like, oh, I've got better stuff going on, you know, and, like, you know, I have this whole world, you know, I'm in movies, you know, and it's, like, that was really terrifying me while working on this film. Um, and when I saw your movie, I had this really overwhelming sense. I even texted you after I saw it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to act again. Like, I just, I, I got really freaked out by that. Because what does that say about you as a person, you know? Like, I love movies. Movies are, like, my life. Like, I, I used to feel the greatest after coming out of a film and just, like, feeling this euphoric sense of, like, uh, you know, which I think I've come to discover it was just being in, like, a present moment, which I was never like that. Um, and I've been able to kind of find more and more... Um, but like being in like the now, there's something about being on the web or watching a film or devouring television. I spent every day watching television the same way that you did, and I've had to cut it off. It's like some kind of like meth drug for me. Like I can't watch TV anymore. I'll take a little Lost, and I'll take a little, you know, when when stuff comes around. But I, I, I mean, I literally get a sick feeling in my stomach when I'm around television because there was a part of me, this like sick part of my head, that was just weighted down when I was growing up by just only watching TV and I used it as a way to like hide and I finally did away with that when I moved out and started working with David and David's got like an amazing family total open communication wonderful it's, like inspiring and I have wonderful parents too um, so I was like I'll do away with television you know I just I won't have that you know I won't push myself away from people with TV and then we started editing and all of a sudden I'm in this dark room alone by myself in the second year of editing and I'm like oh shit I did the same thing you know, this is just more of this disconnecting yourself from people, but in some way you're, you know, putting yourself out there because, I mean, I found more old friends and gotten in contact with people through Facebook than I would ever with anything else. So it's... There's great things about it, too. Yeah, it's yeah. very Joined confusing. Joined a creative family, too, that was, you know... Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still... Yeah, I don't quite know how I'm affected by it in a lot of ways. I think you should... I think with kids, it's important to, to make... Like, literally turn it off. Um, yeah, with your children, and uh, they will watch TV as long as you leave it on. It's addictive. My parents would cut it off. They would say, "You only have this much time, or no more TV." And I would find ways of finding television. I mean, I, I literally was like seeking it out, like some kind of weird drug. Like I, I really felt safe while watching it. What did it do to you, Josh? Like, what does TV make you feel? Well, I'm off. You still I'm off love the, it. Well, yeah, but I'm off the sauce. You the, were so excited. Yeah. He was so excited when he was coming to Sundance that yeah, he was going to have a TV. <laughs> so excited. Yeah. No. I'm, well, yeah. I mean, um, actually, well, in college, again, back to I did most of most of my thinking. Fundamental thinking was in college, and I, I uh, there's two theories that, that make sense. One is the uh, theory of uses and gratifications, which is a guy named Elihu Katz, which says um, when you watch TV, you only, you, you take in what gratifies you and everything else goes by the board. And the counter to that is what I call the spectrum 
spectrum theory, which is that other stuff that's going by the board is going somewhere and doing something to you. And I think the, if I, just from a, I'm just picking this out of many things, but the, the, uh, the what I found was that, um, it, it, that watching an extraordinary amount of television tends to suppress your emotional ranging, meaning your highs and your lows are like, it's like a sponge, and after a while, this, you know, your highs and lows, particularly when there were a lot of commercials growing up, you kind of have to turn off a little bit, and the sponge compresses, and then over time, it loses its, its elasticity, for example. I mean, I, go, I could sit here for hours, I guess, but that, I picked one. That's what some drugs do as well. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, you're, uh, you know, when you when you're addicted to television or or the media, it's it's a substance. It's just being ingested without a chemical, the, the, a, a chemical going into your body. But it's, you know, your your eyes and your ears are absorbing it in a different manner. It just, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's a drug, but it is. And then if you add with the internet, you have the feedback now. So there's this increased. Um, you know, consciousness of the way you look. Well, the drugs the way are getting that you stronger. Appear because you're getting immediate feedback about that, right? So you're, you can, uh, your self-worth could be the number of friends you have. Are they really your friends? You know, um, how well do you know them? I, I'm really interested, actually, in, in what you have to say about that when you said the narcissism. I mean, how does that affect you? In your film, it was so compelling to me. Like, the kids were all so aware of themselves. Does that mean that you're not really aware of how you're feeling or you're so intensely aware of how you're feeling that you can't take in anything from the outside world? Nothing actually impacts you. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, um, how do you feel things? Is that what you're asking? No, I'm saying the narcissism. How does that impact you? Does that Terrifying. make you... Yeah, I, I didn't like the... Um, I, I didn't like the, the feeling of sitting... I remember one night Angie was there I won't tell the full story, but I remember freaking out and looking at the screen and I just started yelling, that's not me, that's not me. And like, just, I got really scared, you know? I just didn't like the idea of sitting and, you know, watching, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was, I don't know, wasting, wasting time, but also putting my energy in the wrong places, um, which led me to having excellent times after that. Right after the film ended, I kind of had to just separate myself. And David understood, you know, he was, he was very in tune to what I was, you know, what I was going through. And he's gone through his own stuff too, but just the idea of sitting and editing yourself, and it just, it felt quite wretched. And it was a totally fun process in a lot of ways. I mean, I, my best friends worked on the film and, and all that, but there were these kind of dark nighttime things. I would only work at night, I slept next to the computer, I lived on the set that the character lives on for about a year and a half. I wasn't really interacting with too many people. I wasn't dating everybody, you know, anybody. And it was just like, um, I'm very abusive. I'm uh, <laughs> no, but I was asking for it. I mean, it was something that I really no, no, uh, wanted you, to do. You really went on a journey similar to Archie and came yeah. out on the other side with the same kind of life message yeah. in a sense. Hey, there was some, there's something about calling for like a present moment, you know, like, um, I, I've been going to Wavy Gravy Circus Performing Arts Camp for about 15 years. And Wavy Gravy teaches a lot about being in the present moment and all that. And from a young age, I was always taught, you know, 
breathing and, you know, about being here now. And uh, the first thing that ever introduced me to David was a documentary I did when I was about 16 about my times on the road with Wavy Gravy, Patch Adams, and Bob Ramdas, who wrote Be Here Now. And all these guys all kind of teach the same thing of just being in the present moment. And I started f thinking about like when I'd watch TV and when I'd go see a movie, it was the soothing feeling because I was in the present moment constantly. Like it was almost like I was trying to get myself to this meditative, like nice place, but it didn't actually feel good. It actually felt really sickening. And I would remember when I'd go up to sleep at night after I'd watch, you know, 19 hours of television, and I would actually have night fits. I would sit there and I would like laugh or I'd like yell or I'd just kind of sit there and go to myself and I always kind of wondered why I would do that and I think it was just me needing to like put something out there or like get you know I don't know it was just this very odd thing that comes around with technology but also me being just kind of a weird you know <laughs> lonesome kid but um but it also led me to wonderful things I mean it led me to my family and my friends and you know and 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 the summer after we finished my suicide I went off and had an amazing summer. I went to Israel and I went to, um, I went back to camp and saw Wavy and Jahanara and, and um, went and did some theater with uh, the Steppenwolf program and just, it pushed me out the door that I knew I needed to get to because I felt like I was just like crumbling. And I would hope that the internet and like th these kind of messages of the film and especially our suicide prevention message, anybody that's seriously hurting on the inside or somebody that feels broken, you know, that the answer is connection and communication but there's a fine line there because the internet is all about communication but it so isn't in a lot of ways you know and and that's a weird freaky line well uh, I think we want to open up up to questions but before that let me just throw out one question because I, I wanted you both to talk about the filmmaking as well um, the the idea of just you know sensory overload and media overload is like kind of a defining fact of, of the existence that you're describing in these films and um, overload is kind of a literal thing in terms of, of the material you were working with for this film like um, Andy obviously you were known for sticking with your subjects for a long period of time and accumulating a lot of footage but in this case you were also documenting someone who documented himself um, quite obsessively for a certain period of his life there's a lot of surveillance footage that you presumably had to comb through and sift and recontextualize and and uh, David you were dealing with you know in many cases your actors were also shooting because the camera is ubiquitous there are many points of view and presumably you also amassed a huge amount of footage so can you both talk about that which seems to be um, something that I think you and Gabriel you presumably as the editor of the film that was something that you you, you worked with as well so. Well, uh, we did a mass amount, a, a mass amount of footage. I mean, part of this movie was, you know, we lived by the main character's name was Archie. We lived by what would Archie do, and you know, Archie, being a modern kid, would be, you know, writing on his timeline and and appropriating media from everywhere he could get it. So we, you know, created a nightmare in that sense, in that we we mixed every conceivable kind of format on our timelines, and you know, which really is a big no-no, and. Uh, um, you know, it was certainly a huge technological challenge to deal with all of uh, all of that media. Um, from our perspective, though, you know, it was always right on with story and character. So um, it worked for us as opposed to against us to mix all of this all of this media on one timeline, because that's you know what a kid would normally do. So I mean, to to me, it was a, an incredible amount of footage. I think we have uh, about. 35 or 40 terabytes that make up 
you know, the media of the movie. Uh, and again, it, you know, it, it, that did create a lot of nightmares, but um, it also helped with, you know, the look, the feel, the communication of the movie. We were constantly shooting, too. I mean, at night when we would have an idea or something or David wanted to, to do something new or we just were, you know, we would just pick up a camera and we're in that day and age where it's like, you know, we could just shoot HD like that. And Angie, our cinematographer, one of our cinematographers, she was also one of the post people. So we'd be around and we have an idea. We had a green screen. We could just throw up the camera and just shoot something else. And some of the greatest moments are just from stuff like that. But it made this never-ending process of just like, how the hell are we going to finish this? Like, we can constantly be doing new stuff. And, and now Archie can go online, too. So, you know, and there's gonna which be he's going to do. That, yeah. you know, so. and tons of stuff. Um, but it's, it's actually a really fun way to make a movie, and it really shows what a kid could do today. You know, I mean, on the other side of that, uh, you know, we were very much into the writing. Um, Eric Adams, one of our co-writers, is here. And, you know, we were really aware of... Um, you know, that we, we have a three-act story structure that's really tight underneath the movie. So even though there's all these crazy storytelling techniques, you know, that may be part of, like, a YouTube generation mindset, you know, we really stuck to, you know, telling a, a traditional story at the end of the day. Um, oh, there's so much I could say on the topic. Um, I guess what I would say is, as I said, we had 5,000 hours of footage because I've accumulated a few thousand and uh, Josh shot Josh had these machines recording his life as well as he had archives from Jupiter and pseudo days um, getting the surveillance footage from the we live in public com was not until I think we had to negotiate that because Josh wants them all to become each tape to become a museum collecting you know collectible uh, item so uh, you you know as he says in the film you could buy a slice of his life every day every feed. Um, so for all 32 motion controlled surveillance cameras, they were going to long play VHS tapes. And I didn't get a hold of them until June of 2008. So um, I think I mentioned that the movie was really cut between April or May of last year and January, whatever it was, 13th when we screeched into Sundance. Um, it was very, very, very crazy. Um, the, what helped was that it was the first time I I really had a extremely clear vision. Uh, I didn't know what the film was about for eight years, and for the last two, I knew exactly what the film was about. And I knew that it needed to open with this video of him saying goodbye to his mother, uh, who was on her deathbed, but he wouldn't go see her. He said it over the video. And that it also needed to have um, his prediction of what was in our future regarding the internet. Um, and so I Frankenbit stuff together. Josh was in Africa by then, and there was no way to, to get to him. I tried to find him in March of last year um, to get him to record voiceover and to fill out some questions I had, and he wasn't home. He'd left two days before I got to his house. <laughs> I, I had to find his house. That was a riddle. To Josh likes riddles and likes to send me on adventures, so I went, and he wasn't home, and um, ironically enough, after combing through all this footage, and really getting a cut together by the end of August, which um, which allowed us to get investment to for me to bring on another editor to work with me. And then we used iChat to, on and seven different computers and had the media copied on seven different hard drives. So the irony is we use technology and this technology to make these films. And without this technology, these films would not exist. How many so, editors did you have? Um, me and another editor. But That's we had it? two assistant yeah. editors. 
and uh, they were crucial. And we had one woman who just her entire job was to watch WeLiveInPublic.com. And I had to just trust in my team, which was a phenomenal team, um, and also just trust in the fact that what ended up on the screen was what was important and that uh, I ended up doing the voiceover for the film, which is a departure for me as well. But the great thing is that I'm, I'm always available. So I could re-record every day. Like you were shooting new stuff on the green screen, I was re-recording or shooting little pickups in my office. Um, and every day I'd be like, I have a new line of voiceover, I have a change, I have a change. Um, until we got it right. And then in October of 2008, uh, we're trying to, f we're, you know, a month and a half late submitting to Sundance and they're being very patient with us, which was very kind. Um, and then Anderson Cooper had seen my film join us and asked me to shoot CNN Heroes. Um, and there were 50 potential heroes, you know, that were gonna be finalists. And one of them was in Ethiopia. And of course I said, oh, I, you know, if he gets to be a finalist, I'd love to shoot his story. And he was, and they sent me to, it turns out, Josh's Village in October of 2008. I was sent back, and, uh, and thank you, CNN Heroes. And um, we sat down, and I got in big trouble, actually, that day, because we could not stop talking. I mean, I had just, by then, I had really assimilated all the data, and I had a lot of questions. And a lot of what the words that you hear underneath the film were recorded in October of 2008. So um, a lot of it, I think, what what... It, what you know, David ended up saying at the end is that it comes down to the storytelling. And it was always very clear that this story should be told in this way. And then it's a matter of what sticks and what goes. And layers and layers and layers and layers. And nonlinear editing is, um, I, I, I discovered God in the Avid. So I know Avid, sorry. But uh, it's run on apples. <laughs> and I love iChat. We took Final Cut in places it had no business going. I want to do Final Cut, but we'll talk about that after. Uh, maybe we should take some questions. Uh, I think we have time for a few from the audience. The front row. Yeah, yeah the, you're the asking question. about hives and singularity. I'm not sure I can, I know the, uh, the uh, I, I know about hives. I don't know. I'm not sure I can define singularity. Um, well, you're connecting people in space and time, and they they are in that in those moments of time they're connecting psychically, and it's a unit. It's not individuals anymore. And I and I I guess I don't know. I'm I'm that's without going. Yeah, that's all I got. He always said that Big Brother was the collective consciousness. Um, and uh, I think he felt that most, at least from my, as, you know, doctor of Josh Harris over here. Yeah, the shrink, um, my media shrink, <laughs> great. I think he felt it most extremely, and it actually came true for him and when he lived on camera with his girlfriend online. Um, because at that point, there was, um, it was the chatters actually that were pulling the strings, whereas in the bunker, in the hive that Josh created, he was the puppet master and really was having a, a grand old time watching the chaos unfold. In this case, he was the rat. Um, and I think that we recorded that line in Ethiopia in retrospect. Well, maybe um, let me try another. What, what I'm going, doing next is building the Wired City, which is sort of, if, I get not everybody's seen the film, but there's, you know, there's the aspect of putting, building a structure uh, um, and having people live in it, and that's called that was the quiet ex experiment. And then 
I, I put cameras in my house. So I had one place where everybody could meet physically and one place in my loft where I'd turn the cameras on my house. And my, I guess what I'm doing next is I'm going to ask people to turn the cameras on their houses and uh, within their rooms or within their living rooms, the home studio, home theater, remember home theater? Now you can buy Best Buy for 400 bucks. Home studio, you know, short order will be in a box. And the idea for me is um, people meet virtually from their houses, they get to know each other in very intimate ways because the camera is now turned on their home and you can meet, you, you get to know them intimately. And then, um, if they're good at what they do, they're going to the virtual city so they can meet physically. And somewhere in there, it's not, it's, it's the collective consciousness and they're, it's a different way of living, sort of a postmodern commune or something like that. Josh always said the green screen was the magic um, that everybody would have a green screen and with Operator 11, um, yeah. which was something he created between the apple farm in Ethiopia. Um, he had these, this, the green screen was part of it, right? They would, the people would put a green screen behind them and they could uh, create yeah. their own show. And that's what I noticed. And it just, like the light bulb went on. I was sitting there in the Paramount Theater in Texas going, oh my God. And Gabriel had a yeah, green you screen. Built home studio. In their well, we, film. Yeah, I think we had the green screen being the pogo stick of the new generation. The pogo and, stick. And, that's, and uh, one of the inspirations for making this movie was that I had this group of young kids who were making media for their peers, and three of them had green screens in their bedroom. Yeah. You know, and they're pulling mats, they're 14 years old. Yeah, and yeah. You know, it was just like, whoa, that was like a huge inspiration for, for the movie. Lower thirds dropping, you know, having their own bug on the lower right hand corner. Um, uh, really making their own tele, you know, you're 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 idolizing the things you're seeing on television, and now you can do it yourself because that's what you've idolized. And put yourself anywhere. And put well, put yourself anywhere and with anyone. Hi, my name is Cynthia Damas. I was part of the um, the pod experience, <laughs> and I haven't <laughs> seen the movie yet, but. Pertaining to the talk and the issues being discussed today, I just, it makes me reflect on the fact that for me, one of the operative dynamics was the tension between the public and the private. And I know that for myself, I was invited to, you guys will see the movie and you'll understand the context more. Hopefully you'll have a chance to see it soon if you haven't. But there were all of these rituals that one had to pass through to become a member of this community. And I felt like my experience was kind of special and that I was kind of able to, to bypass some of that. And I realized I spent a lot of my time trying to bypass the sort of fascistic, right? The sort of fascistic. <laughs> and I think, that as, as Andy has said, and I've read interviews on the internet by her, about sort of what people were willing to do to become part of this environment, which represented fame, 15 minutes or however long, fame. And I, I think that coming from it from someone who was already conceiving of themselves in, as a performance artist, as an actor, as a performer, I was all about keeping my private life private and projecting what I wanted to. 
and so for me that that was the main one of the main tensions there were lots of tensions it was it was probably the best 10 days of my life if not one of the best 10 days of my life or however long it was the most intense 30 days maybe altogether. i'm not sure exactly how long i know i walked out of um a ridiculous telemarketing job and and just gave my life to this for that period and i'm really very excited to be part of it thank you uh, okay. You know, in a weird way, when I, I was funny, you should mention that I'm looking around and, you know, people go to Starbucks, be, you know, to get their caffeine fix, but they all, the way they lay it out is they go, it's sort of like this social, you know, environment, this faux social environment. And the Apple store is very similar, except they don't serve coffee, they serve apples. Um, as time goes by, though, um, in the future Apple store, people will come here because they've met uh, you know, in the vir in the virtual world, and they'll come here, sort of to get their caffeine fix. Except it'll be their virtual fix, and a and Apple will will build uh, retail studios here with their own green green screens, and people will be able to sort of bonify their celebrity by making it into the Apple Store, some in some variation that uh, you know only Steve Jobs can figure out. He's figured out a lot. Yeah, so he far. sure has. So we have faith in him. As far as the <clears throat> the commune thing goes, like I, I've been finding a lot that people my age and younger, and <clears throat> I'm I'm 23, and that um, I find a big group of people my age are really starting to move towards being around other folks. Um, I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's just coming from me and the people I'm around, but there's something, you know, uh, calling, ma you know, making call out on Facebook or Twitter. I mean, there's a pillow fight going on right now in the middle of New York that was all brought around through the internet, and it was like people love getting together, but they really love finding it on the internet and then actually coming and meeting in person, which is like the most exciting thing ever. Um, <clears throat> and while we were working on my suicide. Um, a big group of us just kind of found at the end of it, we were, uh, Angie, the cinematographer right there, where we were driving around and I mean, we made the film in LA in Thousand Oaks and I got really depressed at one point because I was like living on Reseda and I was paying like 1300 bucks for rent and I was living basically alone and I'd been living alone and there was just something inside of me, whether it was from the movie or being on the web or meeting people like that, there's just a part of me that's like, I want to be interacting with people. It kind of in that way pushed me out the door and now I live on a commune with 14 people in Tarzana. We live in a castle, which was built for porn in the 90s. We have a moat. And it's a bunch of people like living in LA and getting together. And it was just very strange. We would go to people we knew that lived in Los Angeles and we were like, you know, I, I think we're gonna try to put something together of just like young artists or whoever, you know, I don't know if you're in the middle of your lease or whatever. And before I could even finish my sentence, they were like, yeah, I'll break my lease, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'll be there. And it was just this like n overwhelming need to kind of get together. And I'm definitely the happiest I've ever been right now, living amongst these people. And everybody's, you know, doing their own little art shows and all that. But I, I don't know what it is, if that's that, that collective consciousness Sometimes thing. you go over to your house and everybody's got their laptops and their oh, yeah. iPhones. And they're, and they're sitting right next to each other. Yeah. But it's like... They just email that to me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It came out of a, a need for survival for me. I just couldn't, I couldn't live like Archie anymore. 
I couldn't live alone in a room staring at a screen. I just needed to be around other people, and it, it's it's been quite wonderful in that way. And I ultimately think your film has that message too. That yeah, I mean, most that definitely. That if you want to be happy, you know, get out there and connect on some level, and don't let this other world completely take you over. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, but also, just be aware that your data is, you know, your privacy is. Once you put it out there, it's out there, and yeah. just, you know. I don't know how I don't know I don't know if we know how fragile sanity is till we cross the line. Josh, I, I actually I just want to I was I, my head was somewhere else so I, I'm going to tell you where my head is. I, I if you don't mind, uh, just uh, in for example, in my opinion, the uh, the next um, the next um, big innovation in popular culture and we'll just say music. Take a, a musical concert is that when you go to the concert, you'll know everybody in the concert. This already is sort of, sort of happening. This is one of the greatest aspects of Facebook is that you can actually find out who's coming to the concert. You can find out about the concert, know who's gonna be there. Um, Meetup.com, amazing. You can find anyone in your niche and the ability for us to micro-organize on the internet and find people, freaks like us, you know, and then meet up in the physical world is an incredible, wonderful thing. I mean, there's just, there's so much about the internet that's so compelling, but I'm sure that everyone here has found themselves, not everyone maybe, but close to everyone, I want to assume, at three in the morning, you're still on your computer, and there is this dirty feeling. It just comes over you like, no, no, you just want to close it. Stop, you know, and it's just kind of, um, I don't know, it's just an incredible phenomenon. It, I felt like it was a real uh, privilege to have the access to the footage and the experience and a main character who's through whose story I could tell all of our story and what's happening to us, you know, right now. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we all have to run off and, and cut ourselves off, but I really do think the balance is probably gonna be important. I already see that happening. You know, there's times when you look down, there's, there's times when you, um, there's, you, uh, people have limits. Like, I'll check my Facebook every week, for example, myself, and I'll check my email every day. You know, so if you really want to reach me, you have to find me in my email. Once a week? What is wrong with you? I have it on my phone. Sometimes I'll glance down at it. Uh. It's not a hard and fast rule, but I mean, generally, I'll, I'll accept my friend invitations or reject them once a week. Yeah. I cannot, I can't, I just can't, you know, and as I'll be aware of when those erode. Okay, when it's every day. Uh, because I guess maybe because I made this movie and hopefully for the people watching the film, they'll be more aware of the increase in their use. I'm not saying it's not going to increase. I'm, I'm just a pawn in Josh's chess game too, like you. I was wondering while watching your film, you know, I'm whether, wh <laughs> whether you were going to have some kind of suicidal thing going on in the film. And I, when you got to your really low stages when, during We Live in Public. I was never suicidal, but you know, you there's lots of ways to kill yourself where your body stays alive. Yeah. You know. I thought the message that I was left with, that the movie scared me in a lot of ways, but something I was left with that David always lives by is like, you can always make a change. And the fact that you went from We Live in Public to the Apple Orchard to where you are now, it's like that idea of rebooting. You know, yeah. and I really love yeah. that. And David's always said, you know, if he had a family member and his kids are anything but suicidal, that, you know, they would go out to the woods and that he would just take them out to the woods. And I mean, he's lived in the mountains and he's like a perfect example of somebody that you can just 
you know, the whole rebooting your life thing. I just, I, I like that message from, that you put out there. I mean, I, th I think it's, I, I don't know, maybe it has partially to do with you running away, but it's also... I never, I, I don't think I ever ran away. I just, I, well, I bought the Apple Farm before I did We Live in Public because I had a feeling. You did? I had a feeling. He knew it was all going to go down. Yeah, I, I just, you know, and but then... he sent me to the Apple Farm first to break yeah, it in. Yeah, break it in, yeah. That's not in the movie. That's not in the movie, and, but I hear it a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that about the movie. But, yeah, nature is absolutely important, and I think that it just uh, it's just something that our society is really losing touch with. I mean, certainly in the Western world, it's... It's incredible. You just go out, if you just go camping for a day or out there for a day, you just realize the quiet, the noise, the noise that we live in. And that's his experiment it was called Quiet We Live in Public. It was Actually, anything but quiet. It was the loudest place. You had a firing incredible. range. Incredible. We had audio. Yeah, the, the firing range. The one thing, the I, the one thing about uh, living in <laughs> Ethiopia that I forgot how much, how important it is to my life is. Aside from the the the, light, the the rural living and all of that, um, the animals. There are animals around me, and we live together. It's not they're not they're not like you know in in cages, and I don't take them out for walks. We we all live we all coexist. And tell them I, about your lawnmower. Who mows your lawn? Oh yeah, well I have my. Uh, that's a practical matter. I have uh, four tortoises that mow my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> But Ella the baboon had to go. Ellie, Ellie had to go. It was, it was, it was just too weird. It was too, it was too half human, half some, you know, wild and very needy little it's animal. Like holding up a mirror, huh? Yeah. And, and how about how much families live together? Oh yeah, well, yeah, well, you, in Ethiopia, you all, yeah, and your family isn't just the people that you're in the same room with because you know everybody's stacked on a lot of Ethiopians in Ethiopia. And you're living with the people all around you. You can hear the, you can hear them. You can smell the food they're eating. You're you're at night when you're when you're sleeping because it's very dangerous. Um, you listen to the, the the wild animals, and w you know it's like if there's something happening 500 meters away, you can you can in, even even in your almost deep sleep, you can sense you can listen to them and sense that something's happening. You know, Don't you're, you miss you're it, Josh? I mean, you stayed. Yeah. You were supposed to get on the plane, yeah, and then yeah, we won yeah. Sundance, and then you didn't. You missed your yeah, flight. Thanks a lot. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> Here you are back in New York. I got to build the Wired City. This is your chance. Yeah, I got the one. Yeah, well, yeah, it's all, it's all, yeah, it's all because of you. Thanks. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming you. Well, you have to go back though and tend to your monkeys, yeah. don't you? You got to open a tourist board because a lot of people that have seen the film are heading your way. Well, well <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we need to we need to wrap it up. But um, thanks. That was a great discussion. Um, Andy, uh, Josh, David, and Gabriel. Thank you, Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. And tonight, my suicide tonight sold out, though, right? It sold out. But if you go to the Visual Arts Theater on what is it, Twenty Third Street, uh, I guess you can get in by joining Gen Art. Nice. Yeah. And then we're tomorrow night at the Museum of Modern Art. I do want to say um, we are we're sold out. We have two screenings there. Josh and I will be doing a Q&A at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. We will be actually doing a lot the first live webcast in MoMA's history, which is appropriate for our film. A lot of people are reuniting who are in the film, and it's just going to be crazy. And then we're having a big party, which is all going to be webcast. And then so, wow. so if you surpass, so and so we live in public, the movie.com. Oh, yeah, and then Monday at Lincoln Center, 
uh, three screenings at the Walter Reed Theater. There may be tickets left. 3.30, 6 o'clock, and 8.30, I believe, are the screenings. And I believe we're webcasting from there as well because we're just crazy like that. <laughs>